0: Coms Day Live, I'm Graham Lynch and welcome to the show. Today our feature interview is with the Managing Director for Australia of Equinix, Guy Danskin. Of course Equinix is the leading data centre company in the Australian market, so it's going to be interesting to have a catch up with with Guy and find out what they're up to. We'll also be talking about a new wireless ISP called Gigacom, or I'll say that again, Gigacom, uh, who have a very interesting management team. And also um, an interesting move by Nokia in the five G innovation space. But first, Rowan Pearce, the executive editor of Comms Day, welcome, Rowan. Hi, Graham. Um, you've been uh, you've been working pretty hard this week, covering a lot of interesting stuff. Um, and specifically, you had a big story in Friday's Comms Day. On a tie-up between Macquarie Telecommunications and Optus, tell us all about it.
1: I, I should I should clarify first that I work hard every week, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so so it, it, quite interesting MVNO wars, as you put it in the subject line of um, Comms Day. So essentially, Macquarie Telecom has severed its um, MVNO relationship with Telstra and actually signed up with Optus Wholesale. So that's a kind of um, I mean it, it's only I had to check it's only March. <laughs> March again. Um, so that's the second high-profile kind of win this year for Optus Wholesale after Aussie Broadband obviously like switched away from Telstra 2 earlier this year. Um, so Luke Clifton from MacTel told me that from his perspective, the, the key thing was actually the product offering from Optus, which included access to 5G. Um, as you know, Optus last year began offering a wholesale fixed wireless and mobile um, access to its kind of MVNO customers. Um, which makes them the first of the mobile operators to offer it. So uh, I think they, like, obviously, like, another high-profile win for Optus Wholesale. On the other hand, we do know that there's at least one uh, significantly sized service provider which is preparing to announce a Telstra tie-up to. So, um, yeah, so obviously from MacTel's perspective, the, the deal is not all about 5G, but um, Luke did have a couple of interesting comments about what they're planning to do. So one thing is they are to offer, like, a premium Five G mobile service for their business customers, but also they're going to use it for the SD WAN service, which um, currently uses Telstra's four G network as well as NVN fiber. So that's going to be five G enabled, which will be, and that'll be coming later this year. So anyway, it's kind of interesting to see how the whole um, the the whole NVN space evolves this year. I guess the added complication too is that you have, um, you know, on the consumer side, all the all the telcos also have their kind of like budget brands, which are also competing in the MVNO space. So kind of interesting to see how that evolves. Moving on.
0: Uh, The federal government right now is attempting to develop a legislative regime around the security of critical infrastructure. And there's been some developments in that this week.
1: Yeah, so I, I attended a home fair's town hall meeting this um, this week, which really marked the start of the kind of co-design process for the um, the critical infrastructure regime, or the expanded critical infrastructure regime. So exactly how the legislation applies is going to vary from sector to sector, but the initial focus is actually on setting out some of the kind of sector agnostic governance rules, which will um, be part of the risk management program, which, which feeds into the positive security obligation on the new legislation. So... That was this week. Next week, Home Affairs is actually having a series of workshops with different sectors, including the telco sector, co- to kind of like gather additional feedback on the proposals. So there's been this this kind of significant trend, um, particularly around stuff like national security and cyber security, where a lot of this legislation has actually relied on you know you know so-called delegated legislation, which are the kind of regulations, the rules, determinations, all that stuff that's not voted on in Parliament. Um, and so that's that's the case with critical infrastructure. A lot of it's going to be set out through regulation. Um, so including including not just sector agnostic stuff, but also industry-by-industry industry rules, which are going to be kind of developed again through co-design later on this year. Um, I guess from the telcos are kind of hoping, obviously, they'll follow a lot of the existing kind of TSSR rules. Um, I, I think the, there's a bit more um, angst on the kind of cloud sector side of things, where a lot of the international operators are kind of a bit worried because they're worried some of the obligations that have been, like, floated might put them in conflict with, um, I guess, rules governing them in other jurisdictions. So it'd be quite interesting when the kind of nitty gritty of this gets worked out through this co-design process. Okay, thank you very much for joining us today, Rowan. Cheers.
0: Well, moving on to today's feature interview, um, with Equinix Australia MD Guy Danskeen. Equinix had some big announcements this week regarding the launch of bare metal services across the world. And uh, our, our chief editor, Simon Ducks, caught up with Guy to have a chat with him about this and all of Equinix's other
2: plans for the Australian market. Take it away, Guy. So, um, yeah, so we're about to announce um, 18 new metros for Equinix Metal. Um, it sounds like you're pretty familiar with the service, but essentially it's an automated, interconnected, uh, bare metal platform. Um, and Sydney will be one of those metros that uh, that, that is announced. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're seeing very strong demand from the customer base. But to be honest, probably exceeding what I had expected and I, I had high expectations. Um, but, you know, certainly a lot of the customer um, engagements that I'm involved in, the team's involved in we are seeing a lot of interest um, from enterprises who are maybe looking to enter a market that they don't want to commit full infrastructure to, as an example use case. Um, Certainly some of the network providers are looking at this as a value add on top of their network stack. Um, So across the board, we're seeing really, really strong interest. And and even when you look at companies that may be headquartered in Perth or Melbourne who are looking for a way to enter the Sydney market, that kind of dip their toe in the water a little bit in terms of physical infrastructure, um really really good uh really good early demand signals
3: and one of the uh, uh verticals uh, that came out in uh, the uh overall company results uh was uh, talked about the network vertical mainly being service providers yep. um do you see this new services having um uh some appeal to the uh, uh telecom operators in the region
2: yeah yeah absolutely we do so um, yeah the network uh, vertical for us was very strong last year. Um, you know buoyed by some of the uh, some of the kind of tailwinds that you've already mentioned. Um, but certainly you know some of the conversations I've had here with net- network operators are uh, really around them looking for a value add to their market offering and they see that you know if you can build an effective automation uh, to our platform including metal, uh, then that's a, a, just a further value add they can add to their kind of suite of services they offer their, their customer base.
3: Got you, and you've you've got a pretty good relationship with Telstra. That's a global relationship. Uh, does that does that make it a tiny bit tricky dealing with the other operators um, uh, in uh, this in in the domestic
2: market? With Telstra, we've got a very long-standing relationship, as you say. I think we're probably close to the twenty years we've been operating here. I think it's probably all twenty years of those have been. I'm sure Telstra has been involved at, uh, in some measure. Um, but, yeah, so a so great example of what we built with Telstra is they have a product called the Telstra Programmable Network, uh, TPN, and they actually use our fabric product to underpin that. Uh, and we were able to enable them to expand from eight uh, metros, I think, right the way through to 18, might be more. We'll come back and check on that number for you. Sorry, eight to 38 markets. Um, and really gave them an entry point um, from North you know, into North America and Europe um, to build on that already kind of strong, you know, Pan-Asian network. Um, but in terms of other carriers, uh, you know, we've, we've always had a carrier neutral approach to the market, and, and this is no different. You know, we're, we're talking to um, all, the, all the major providers that you would expect, um, and they all have kind of varying degrees of interest at this stage.
3: Okay. Now, um, how how do you envisage the uh, Equinix Metal uh, will uh, play out with the Equinix Fabric? Uh, I can see uh, you've got a nice interconnection service, how it's going to fit together. Uh, are you going to see any interesting things in the way customers are looking at uh, uh, using the two services together?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So the nice thing about Metal is that it is fully integrated with Fabric from day one. Uh, and so that's really uh, one of our major uh, points of difference with this product is that as an Equinix customer you can essentially sign up via a portal uh, and you can be active within minutes and then once you're active on that product you can then get access to all ten thousand uh, customers and partners and providers that have formed part of our ecosystem globally so that so the two products are absolutely integrated from in day one
3: okay and uh picking up on uh, uh some of the wider stuff that came out of results um i did uh sort of note the uh, discussion around uh, Xscale uh, that uh, Charles uh, Moore did. And um, he specifically called out Australia uh, as a uh, entering a new market. Uh, so I'd love to find out a little bit more about that and, uh, you know, w- where is that playing at the moment?
2: Yeah, yeah. So Xscale is definitely a priority for us, which is the name of the product that you're referring to. Um, and uh, we've, we've certainly launched our first um, foray into APAC uh, via um, Japan. Um, but in terms of Australia, there's nothing kind of specific I can share with you today. But as soon as uh, I do have something specific, we'll we'll come back to you.
3: So, so we're not talking uh, the immediate uh, or short-term horizon on on that.
2: It's not no, no specifics I can share yet. But as soon as we can, I'll definitely send it over to you.
3: All and And uh, just picking up on that, uh, because uh, uh, you probably saw a a report came out uh, by a a property firm, uh, forgive me, I can't remember the name of it, which uh, essentially rated Sydney as third market in the world in terms of data centres on their various measures, essentially. Um, You guys, uh, you've got 16 or so, uh, you know, biggest footprint in Australia. But um, there's no opportunity really to tread water in, in the marketplace. So I absolutely understand the rationale from uh, X scale. But as a more general point, do you feel that um, because of the big uh, hyperscale demands uh, for the likes of, you know, you're seeing AirTrunk coming up uh, and uh, building really big uh, uh, centers uh, that you uh you know, on a wider point need to actually expand and, uh, you know, continue that, that growth as well. And, you know, how does that uh, impact your business?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we've got 17 data centres in uh, six markets around Australia, as you correctly say. Um, you know, key focus area for this year is uh, we've got an expansion underway in Sydney 5, which is our flagship facility across the road here in Mascot. So that's, uh, that's um, been announced. Uh, we're also seeing strong demand in Melbourne, and we also announced our PE3 facility, which will be ready for service in Q4 uh, this year. Um, so we're investing heavily in our core business, which we refer to as, as retail. Um, and then you're right, there is this other segment, hyperscale, um, and you know we we want to discreetly address that for you know a pretty small subset of customers um, that have that need. Um, but have that need and, and want to fulfil that through Equinix and the kind of global relationships that we've built with them, um, and so it's really a, a kind of it's it's, a, it's an adjunct product to our retail offering. But yeah, definitely an area of focus for us.
3: And in terms of uh, actual um, uh, plans to attack it in the next twelve months, what would you look to be doing?
2: Um, in terms of uh, in terms of Australia?
3: Yes, just Australia.
2: Yeah. yeah. so uh, So so. Again, no, no specifics I can share exactly now, but uh, as soon as we can, uh, we will. Uh, but yeah, Xscale definitely focus for us in APAC and, uh, and globally.
3: Okay. And uh, I noticed also, uh, we, we touched upon uh, on the vertical side that uh, uh, the network vertical achieved record bookings in the last uh, year globally. Uh, were you seeing uh, similar results in the Australian market as well for that, that vertical segment?
2: Yeah, so we don't uh, break out by country, but certainly, um, you know, we were really thrilled to announce our 72nd consecutive quarter of revenue growth as a global organization. Uh, so we almost touched uh, six billion in revenue, uh, and that's eight percent growth year on year. Here in Asia, we actually saw that uh, slightly over-index, so we grew at 10 percent um, last year. Um, and I'd just say that you know, Australia is probably indicative in there somewhere. Of that same performance. Uh, but yeah, certainly strong growth, as is evidenced by our growth plans this year in, in three of the six markets we're in.
3: Gotcha. And uh, uh, I notice also uh, on the global results that the enterprise vertical also had a strong quarter. Uh, are, are you mirroring that uh, sort of in Australia as well, or is that playing out a little bit differently?
2: No, I'd say it's uh, reasonably consistent. Um, you know, we're certainly seeing enterprises attracted to some of the offerings um, that we're, we've created globally. Um, I know as we talked about, we've talked about um, you know metal and, and emerging products that we have, um, but the other part that we've seen that's really strong in Australia, sorry, strong in Asia, has been around our uh, cross-connect and interconnection growth, which is up uh, 21% year on year. We're also seeing record uh, bookings through our indirect selling motion, so through the channel. where in Q4, we we're up around kind of the, the mid 30% range.
3: Oh, that's uh, pretty good growth, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Must be pretty pleased with that. Yeah. Uh, and one uh, of the other areas which I'm not that familiar with, and I'd uh, appreciate your thoughts on it, was uh, just the whole uh, channel program. How does that look like in Australia?
2: Yeah, so it's a, it's a key area of focus for us uh, here and uh, elsewhere around the world. So we're investing uh, further in, in um, you know, the talent there. Um, and so, yeah, I'd say that it's, uh, it's a strong area of growth for us. And what, uh, and what
3: sort of companies, I'm just trying to get my head around, um, you know, what sort of companies, is that like, do you count Telstra as a channel or, or is it uh, more sort of like MSPs uh, reselling uh, some of your services?
2: I, I think it's all the above. So certainly all the network providers, we, we have a kind of sell, selling motion with them, um, you know, in terms of uh, our ability to help their network or the you know, add services to their network stack. Um, And then there's also MSPs. Uh, We work very closely with technology alliances like Dell and NetApp and and, uh, companies like that, as well as, you know, some of the hyperscalers, which are strategic alliance partners like Google and Microsoft and Amazon.
3: Gotcha. And uh, one of the things is uh, you being one of the biggest consumers of uh, uh, dark fibre and uh, bandwidth services uh, in the country. I'd love to get your feel on, um, uh, if you look at the last 12 to 18 months, uh, we've covered a lot of stories about how deep um, uh, a lot of the uh, dark fiber networks are getting in the various cities. Uh, I'd love to get your feel on how you see that market playing out. Uh, do you think it's sustainable? Uh, does it make it uh, easier for you to do business? Uh, and do you still think that um, there are more opportunities for those dark fiber guys to connect even more data centers? I know we recently did a story about FiberPath. Uh, uh, talking about running out to your uh, uh, Melbourne uh, facility, uh, for example.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I look certainly I followed the, the same kind of uh, industry trends that you are, um, Simon. But yeah, no, I, I think if the question is uh, how that helps our model um, or, you know, how it contributes to our model, our business over 20 years has been based around facilitating network connectivity between other networks and to their counterparties. Um, and so the proliferation of more and more choice for customers that want to connect to our facilities and that can enable that for, for our customers and partners can only be a good thing. So we, we, we see it as a, as, a, as a net positive, for sure.
3: Good stuff. And uh, in terms of, uh, uh, i guessing, on uh, overall pricing without getting into any nitty gritty, um, you've probably seen uh, the market become a lot more aggressive in terms of uh, pricing, uh, in other words, downward pressure uh, on some of these things, which obviously is uh, good news for you guys.
2: Are you referring to fibre or? Um, yeah,
3: colour- you- on the fibre side, or is that in terms of uh, pricing still?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know that I'd, um, I'd add comment on that, but, uh, yeah, I think certainly in terms of choice and the two, the two places that these organisations are looking to, um, you know, aggregate around or coalesce around is NBN and data centres. And we certainly play... A large role in that first part and and obviously some of the Indian poys, you know are very connected to us and so there's more connectivity between those points then we think that's only a pleasure
3: and uh, I have to ask you I think uh, Rowan last time he spoke to you uh, probably uh, uh, mentioned the same thing as well but uh, uh, what's your view of uh, the emerging uh, edge data center market now you know you can argue about how deep you know, data centers should be pushed into the marketplace, uh, oh, sorry, into the telco networks uh, and what the actual opportunity is there, it might be uh, fairly marginal. And as you've seen, there's a few smaller players uh, appearing on the regional uh, side of things. From Equinix's point of view, uh, would you view those as non-core or would you uh, start say that you're starting to see some interesting business models appear in, in that
2: space? Yeah, no, I think uh, similar to the question around, uh, you know, dark fiber providers then, you know, we're, we're obviously observing a number of these edge uh, operators coming out. We're talking to, you know, almost all of them, if not all of them. Um, and so I think there's a really interesting model there. And, and, you know, certainly as we think about how that connects back to major cloud providers and, and aggregation points, we see ourselves playing a major role in that. So probably less so where they're deploying at the edge and and definitely more so about where that traffic needs to aggregate. And we would see ourselves as uh, playing a key role in facilitating that. Um, So in that sense, uh, positive for sure. Um, I think on the second piece, we would say that, you know, edge, it can also be looked at in terms of the application that enterprises are using. So a perfect example of this is the resources sector. And the Australian resources sector is far and away, um, but advanced in terms of how they're using 5G, IoT, autonomous vehicles. And when you think about where all that data needs to be captured, transmitted, aggregated, analysed and then distributed, um, you know, again, we see Equinix playing a huge role within that um, and we can kind of look at that as, as a real edge play.
3: That's, that is quite interesting because uh, those places are in pretty remote areas essentially. So there's a lot of backhaul that has to be uh, figured out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it
2: doesn't get more edge than that that is.
3: That's about as far as you're going to get. Exactly, exactly. But uh, would you envisage a model that might work in, in that? And, uh, you know, obviously we're just talking a little bit more theoretically about uh, actually being on campus at some of these big sites, uh, or is it more, um, you know, getting the telcos to back all that back to you guys? Or uh, how, how do you see that, uh, or you guys taking advantage of that?
2: Yeah, so a large part of our investment, uh, we decided to go ahead with PE3 in Perth. Um, there are a number of factors in that, but one of them was certainly that kind of localised uh, resources sector uh, and the opportunity we feel that is there today, but probably looking further down the road, the opportunity we feel is there, you know, three to five years from now, um, you know, that sector is doing some really interesting things, very, very data intensive, um, and that just kind of plays to a role that we think we, we should support that industry. <music>
0: Well, moving on, we're going to take a look at the week that was with Simon Ducks, the chief editor of Comms Day. Welcome, Simon. Hi again, Graham. Well, we've got to take a look at two stories this week, two big lead stories that you had in Comms Day. The first one regarded a wireless ISP that has some very, very interesting people running the show there. Tell us all about it. Yeah, it was an interesting uh, one because we've obviously seen a lot of wireless
3: ISPs uh, that have appeared, uh, particularly in the last six months. Uh, There's a lot of activity going on, uh, and particularly uh, wireless ISPs that are looking at uh, anything from 60 to 80 gigahertz uh, to connect up buildings and all. And uh, the fascinating thing about this particular company called Gigacom is the management team that's actually sitting behind it. Now, uh, if you look at the, uh, the co-founders, if you like, uh, one of them uh, is former Telstra uh, managing director of uh, the consumer division, uh, Peter Shaw. And the interesting thing uh, with Peter is that he's also currently uh, the non-executive director of Selmex Telecom. And uh, has been on uh, the Cellnex board there since uh, 2015. And of course, Cellnex is the biggest independent owner of mobile and broadcasting assets across Europe, uh, managing more than 60,000 locations in eight countries. And as we know, Cellnex uh, are also uh, rumored to be looking at the Optus Towers, uh, which will be going up uh, uh, with the Bank of America uh, moderated auction. And uh, so that was quite interesting, uh, you know, he's got a big pedigree, Theo Soperom N, uh, another guy with a very interesting background because uh, he's been an investment banker managing uh, billions of uh, dollars of assets uh, in Australia, Asia, and uh, Europe, and an interesting background as well. Uh, both he and his brother have a very successful property investment company. And uh, both were born in Battambang, Cambodia, right uh, when the country was in the throes of uh, a lot of uh, issues with Vietnam invading as well in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. So uh, obviously, uh, they've come to Australia and uh, made an absolute success of uh, what they're doing. And the key thing for us looking at this company is the fact that uh, you've got uh, two very big heavyweights who by the way both crossed over at uh, Macquarie uh, as well because uh, as part of uh, when Peter was over in the UK he was also the uh, chairman of Arkiva, which is the biggest towerco uh, or one of the biggest co's in the UK. So uh, they obviously have uh, the background on the finance side uh, and they have the uh, towerco experience as well. And they've assembled quite an interesting team of uh, ex-Telco uh, people from Vocus uh, uh, Unwide Australia, XMBN uh, as well. And it's going to be very interesting to see if they're only going to actually just be doing building wireless uh, uh, with uh, a 60 gig unlicensed spectrum or whether this is actually a, a, an ISP that's going to be something more than an ISP. And it's definitely one to keep an eye on.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. And, and the lineage, um, as you say, is, is quite incredible there. There's no way uh, they have limited ambitions. The, the, they definitely have big plans that will be coming soon. And, and uh, you'll be – go watch comms day, watch this space, and hopefully uh, we'll be where you hear about them first. Moving on, um, Simon, you had a very interesting story on Thursday – um, regarding Nokia, which, of course, is one of the two biggest 5G suppliers in Australia along with Ericsson, um, getting together with a university in Sydney to do some very interesting things in the innovation space.
3: That's right, Graham. And uh, I had a good chat with uh, the new uh, Nokia Oceana CTO, Robert Joyce, uh, about a new partnership that they've formed with the University of Technology in Sydney, And uh, it's really interesting because uh, they've had a long-term relationship uh, with the uni, uh, including, I think, a couple of years ago, they uh, were doing some 5G innovation uh, work together. But this is something more. They're looking to build a state-of-the-art 5G innovation facility uh, at the university's tech lab. You know, where uh, it's a five-year, multi-million dollar investment uh, by Nokia. And uh, the thing with it uh, is that it's going to be pretty much uh, in a setup in uh, three big rooms where you're going to have all of the kit from core right through to the radio access network. Uh, all set up uh, in one particular room uh, with uh, the signals all piped through into another room where a lot of the uh, end-user devices and uh, other parts of the network can also be tested. Uh, And one of the uh, things that uh, Robert was telling me about was the fact that uh, the university has the largest anechoic radio frequency test chamber, and we saw some great pictures of that thing. Uh, Essentially, it's a a huge space which uh, they can test uh, some of the beam forms uh, on antenna and uh, without any interference, essentially. Really interesting uh, stuff. The third room uh, of this new innovation uh, facility is going to be a big showroom where they'll have AR, VR, uh, 8K screens, that sort of thing. So uh, you know, when people are actually coming and having a look at the uh, 5G in action, they're going to see some real stuff as opposed to uh, watching uh, what's happening on a, a test analysis uh, kit or something. Now, uh, the thing with that is that uh, they're able to run uh, the networks via a uh, area wide license that they picked up. Uh, at the end of last year. And uh, the interesting thing that uh, he was telling me was the fact that they're not actually just restricted to using that within the lab. So uh, right around them, they can test uh, 5G using this uh, license Um, and they have neighbours there of a business park, a railway, even mentioned a golf course. So uh, as far as he's concerned, he would welcome uh, uh, adjacent businesses to come and uh, kick the tyres, as it were. Uh, He's also looking for other telcos uh, to come in and uh, really give this thing a run, essentially. So uh, on the back of that, it's going to be quite interesting to see how... Uh, this thing uh, develops and uh, how they take use of it. But it's a real commitment from Nokia uh, to 5G innovation. And uh, as part of that, he also mentioned to me the fact that they are looking at the uh, federal government's 5G innovation fund, which uh, they will
0: uh, co-bid with UTS as well. Okay. So if you're in the inner south of Sydney and you feel like uh, testing some 5G gear, you know who to call. Thank you very much, Simon, for joining us today. Thanks again, Graham. Just it. That's it for ComStay Live this week. See you next time.